Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. All right, welcome everybody to Self-Storage Income. This is probably one of the most important podcasts we'll do. It is the cornerstone of everything that we talk about here. It is the cornerstone of creating wealth and income in self-storage. It is how the market has changed. It is everything wrapped into one. I speak at this at the ISS and SSA self-storage conferences, and they've also asked me to make YouTube videos for them on this exact subject. It is super important to know and understand and will change the dynamics of how you underwrite, value, see self-storage in general. And more importantly, it is the basis on how we've created millions in value and income in this asset class. Um, it's what gives us an edge in the marketplace. It's how we find good deals. It's the framework of it all. Now that I got you all pumped up, you can tell I'm pretty passionate about this subject. So as <laughs> just Con- a little bit. Just a little bit, as Connor, Connor knows. So um, once again, guys, thanks, everybody, for tuning into our podcast here. Um, the Self-Storage Income Podcast, for those of you that are just joining us, it's uh, me and Connor. We, you know, we've, we've done so much in self-storage. There's everything from ground-up developments to converting bankrupt Super Kmarts. Our bread and butter is acquisitions. It's um, our favorite thing to do. Acquire underperforming facilities and turn them around. And, and really the reason why we do this is because of the subject today. And that subject is that, well, let me, let me, let me back up here real quick because it's important <laughs> to have context. I'm, like, yeah. I'm totally building the anticipation here. Um, when we got into this business, it's important to know that uh, when before we built our brand, or our portfolio, everything getting into it, we weren't real estate people. That's not what we did. Um, and so we viewed self-storage very differently. Uh, we actually had a theory a mm, long time ago, early 2000s, that basically self-storage was viewed wrong. All these people owned these real estate assets, and we didn't believe that self-storage was a real estate asset. And that's the subject. That's the cornerstone of everything we do. Um, Self-storage is not a real estate asset. It is a business. And the people that own self-storage real estate, we buy and we create self-storage businesses. And the difference, the spread of that is massive. Um, And it's not complicated. It's not crazy. And the best thing about it is it's a real estate business. So you get all the pros and cons the passive income, the depreciation, the physical asset. Um, and yet you get all the upsides of a business. You get operational efficiencies. You get market change in pricings. You get upside with um, coming in and turning around bad businesses, which drives up income, which increases wealth because these are valued on a cap rate. So that depends on your revenue. And you can change those things. 
Um, it's one of the reasons we didn't go into other commercial asset classes because there's not products, services. There's not, you know, people coming in. It acts more as a retail business than it does a traditional real estate asset like apartment buildings that's lease up and walk away. Um, and that was, you know, when I first started looking at it, that was kind of my overall thesis. It was we could go buy these so-called mom and pop facilities we could use technology. We could use our experience in doing very simple things to create a good cash flowing business and have dramatic effects on the underlying performance, revenue performance, therefore driving the value. How um, do you guys real quick see that in the beginning? How did you make that distinction? Was it because we own like how Warren Buffett sees the same things where he's not buying stocks, he's buying businesses? I mean, did you? So I, so we were in insurance and I, and I came in and, and, and was, you know, in insurance, we got our, our, our income from sales. And I learned very quickly. It was, it was, I loved it because I was in charge of my own income. It was, it's great when you sell things because you get paid. Now it meant when I didn't, I didn't get paid, which I was fine with. Um, and I, and I love that aspect that I had the responsibility over myself. Um, and I either ate or didn't. And uh, what I learned though, really quickly, it was way easier to go buy small brokerage firms that had all the business already. Um, then go sell them one at a time. So we started doing this and I started buying these small brokerage firms and we were consultants on companies and we would help them and particularly in the downturn and as people were losing their business. And I looked at operations and saw what was working and what wasn't working. And to diversify, we'd bought a few small storage facilities because we wanted to be hands off. And we thought that was the asset class to, to do it. Mm. And so we learned on two sides here and we were learning operating our business with our employees and our salespeople and buying these small businesses. And then we had self storage, which we learned very quickly. Um, we had a, a, it was a outside company that was operating the facility and the facility was, doing oh, it was a third terrible. Party. It was a third party management company Oh, gotcha. and we weren't operating it and it was doing terrible. And we're like, well, we can point it. We sat them down and we showed them. Think, this is what you're doing wrong here. It's not complicated. Why aren't you guys right. doing this? Stuff? So instead, we kicked them out. We did it ourselves. Income skyrocketed, right? It was valued way more, and then we sold it. And we're like, okay, well, that was a lot better. Why did we ever hire a third-party management system? And then right. it was, once again, kind of coming up that and it's, we started to realize, hey, this is a great business, but it's not passive. Or not that it's not passive. It is not a traditional real estate asset. So then it came, I started looking and seeing the owners of the facilities, uh, particularly in the markets we were interested in. And when you looked at it as a valuation standpoint, because it was based upon income, and if I could look at the drivers that really drove the income and the revenue and thought, you know, well, let's look at what we could do. Right? There was a millions worth of value in that asset that were, was not being extracted. So once again, we could buy it, change things really quick, and the effect on driving income up $50,000, you know, at a seven cap, that, that has huge, huge implications on the wealth. Um, and so that's, I'm like, listen, let's go all in, let's buy these things up, let's turn them around, and then let's compound it, let's use the increased income and that wealth that is generated from that, let's buy more, and then we could create a portfolio of, of them, which would give us um, more leverage and scale 
Mm-hmm. Um, and we could create a management company then to do it ourselves. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's how we got started. That's how we worked. But it, it, it was, and it worked very, very well. And we'd own storage through the recession. We'd own storage and we started buying it before. So we understood the economics and downturns and what we would need to do and which storage facilities performed very well and the ones that didn't. And we went and bought those as they were failing. Um, and so we, we felt very comfortable um, doing this model and we ran our business inside. So that's what we're talking about today. What makes these things a business and what you need to look for and look out for and how you improve those business operations. It's going to be an awesome topic. And I could honestly say that looking at most investments like this, whether it is passive or you want it to be, be passive or not, I think looking at everything that you're doing on the with your investments, looking at it as a business, you're going to do far better than looking at it as some kind of passive wealth building vehicle. Like no matter what you're investing in. I mean, yeah. if you're operating it, your investment, whatever that is as a business. Well, and you know, it's, it's true. And that's how I felt whether you're buying single family homes. Right. Like, cause a lot of people, I, I have this theory and I talk to people about this is I'm like, the difference between investing and running a business, the difference between those things is financial freedom. That's the difference. That's the spread. Because investing in one duplex that pays you $200 a month, that's a great place to put capital and let it grow, right? But owning, you know, 15 duplexes that pay you 250 bucks a month is the difference of retiring and operating them and having someone that helps you manage them and then scaling and moving up and buying a 15-unit apartment building and working on efficiencies, that's creating a business through passive income, and that's financial freedom. Um, And the people that you pay to do that most of the time, they're the ones that end up being financially free. So I'm a very large advocate of you doing it yourself, at least to learn. Then you can find good property managers because maybe your business is syndicating, right? Maybe right now you're listening to this and you're like, AJ, I don't want anything to do with the operations. That's fine. You don't need to know, but or you don't you don't need to do it, but you need to know how to do it. That's with any business, 100%. right? Like Warren Buffett's not doing the business, but he knows how the business needs to be ran, right? So he can hold those that are running it accountable. Yeah, well, he's a big proponent of that investing in what you know investing in what you know so um and two once again our first facility we bought (laughs) you know i think i've talked about this one podcast but it made no money so when we sold it we sold it for less than we bought it for um then we went and bought a facility so we bought that one. We put two hundred thousand dollars into it. Then you did it again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about a new one? What about a new one? So, we, which is that's yeah, awesome. that's kind of funny. We didn't make money, and we kept kept at it. But we uh, purchased it. The purchase price was let me get this right here. It's off the top of my head, but it was around seven hundred and fifty thousand. We put in two hundred thousand. We sold it for less. We took out like a hundred, or no, we put in two fifty. We took out two hundred. We went and bought another facility for 200000 We sold it for a million more eight months later, and we went and bought a $4 million facility um, and put our million into that. And now that million, uh, $4 million facility is worth 6 to $7 million. 
So our two hundred thousand is now worth somewhere around four million. It's incredible. Um, so and once again, though, that was starting off at the one that lost, and, mm-hmm. that, and that's just one right. little segment of our portfolio. Um, well, and doing it your own on your own as well. Yes, doing know? it on our yeah. own. Yep, and we had to figure it out. We didn't do good the first time, right. but we learned, and we took the important things out. Um, and figured out and looked and said, where did we screw up? What are we doing wrong? Um, and two, this is, uh, um, I want to make this very clear. This, this, is, this is excluding market forces. I, not excluding market forces, excluding market timing. So what I mean by that is it's not like, oh, we did this and we timed the market wrong and then we timed it right. Um, we bought another facility before the recession. Okay, that one, even during the recession, so we'd sold that one, we had lost money. The next one we bought in 2007, we kept that one. Um, 2008, um, I think performance was flat. 2009 was flat. 2010 started to increase, and we expanded it and bought more in that marketplace, and the revenue just kept going up and up and up. Um, but it never dipped. In fact, operations we did very well on. Um, our marketing cost drove, even though we ended up getting higher rates. So now I'm totally getting off here on a side, side note, but th- the point of that is, is that we're talking about affecting the, the revenue outside of, allowing, uh, of the market doing it. Exterior so, factors. Exterior factors. Yeah. So when I look and we talk about turning a facility around, I'm talking about turning the facility around in the same year with the exact same economic situation. So you're buying something at one point, and then at the next point, wages, market conditions in your area, none of that has changed, but the valuation has changed. And so you do that through business operations. Of course, if you buy something 20 years later, unless you're a fool, it should be worth more and income should be up. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about doing it now. I'm talking about getting in there turning the facility around. So how do you do that? Well, you do that first by selection. We are looking for facilities and we focus on three pillars. We focus on a value pillar, which is the things that I can't change, right? And in self-storage, the things you can't change is its location. I can't pick it up and move it. So I need that to be done right. Now, it's physical, the physical asset part of it, how it looks, um, maybe unit sizes, things like that. Those I can change but I can't change the street corner. So I look for that part, the value in the location, but then the perceived value of the facility. One, I want to be able to change, and that's the perceived value. We'll come in, put 100,000, you know, we'll do, change the way the office looks, we'll reseal the road, repaint it, make everything look better. But the, the, the um, I think of Hayden right mm-hmm. now when you get it, and we'll, we'll talk about that case study here in just a minute, um, because it's a perfect demonstration of this. Uh, then the next pillar, so we got our three pillars. One is that the the value and the value perceived by the customer. So the value to me, the location, the value perceived, how it looks and feels. Um, the second is operations. So how the facility is being ran. I need that to be doing very poorly. Um, when you walk in and the manager comes out and they're you know, in their pajamas, coming out of a back room, if they're there at all, it's best when it's closed and you can't get them open. Um, there's no sales process. There's no upsell. They walk out. What do you want? Well, here's what our rates are. Um, those are all things I love because these are all things I can change. Um, then the third 
part of that operations. That's the financial side. That is the pricing of units, products, and that's products being offered, insurance, um, different boxes, locks, things like that. That all can be sold, which can equal to be around 6% of your gross income and fee structure, things like that, which can be a whole nother part. Uh, uh, you know, you can really get up just on fees and ancillary products to 10% or more, which once again, at a cap rate, that's huge of, you know, whatever they're selling at six. Um, and you know, you can, you go back, we're making a whole video section on cap rates, by the way, you can go onto YouTube and find that self-storage income because I, I have very strong opinions on it. Um, well, and, and kind of touching on this real quick, too, we just did a podcast, our most recent uploaded podcast. If you haven't listened to it, go back and check out uh, what to look for um, to find the best storage deals. My checklist is AJ's checklist. We literally walk through a lot of this stuff and yes. how to buy right and find those deals mm -hmm. that you can go in and do this value add strategy too and get that quick turnaround like you're talking about. Yeah, we walked through yeah. the whole thing. And then we walked through that third pillar, mm -hmm. right? And the pricing. Yeah. That goes everything into pricing dynamics stuff. But the point of these three pillars are is you're identifying as a business. So you look at it as a business and you say, what in this can I change with the employees and the way we get revenue, how we market our products, um, how the product looks, how we're perceived, what we say to the community how our employees are trained, what's our sales process, both on-site and off-site. You know, basic business practices. And you're talking one, two employees, but your products may vary a lot, right? You may have different unit types, um, drive-up, climate-controlled, and then what's your pricing strategy behind these? So identifying or, or looking at the facility as a business is very different than looking at it as a real estate asset and buying it on a cap rate. Um, because what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a revenue. So I'm looking for a business like this last one that we came in um, and we're saying, okay, listen, the total gross, um, let, let's say actual income from this facility was right around $360,000, right? Um, which puts that like 60 cents a square foot or something like that a month. Um, now, when you look at it like this, and you know, I look at this revenue, I'm going to start to line item a lot of these different um, things that they've included in to the facility. So you have this total gross revenue that includes everything from RV, boat parking, outdoor, drive up, enclosed. Um, you know, you have enclosed five by tens, 10 by tens, 10 by twenties, 12 by forties, you know, one, you have a, a 10 by tens, 154 units, right? And so I'm looking at the, the product offerings. Okay. I'm looking at the price that they're charging. And usually what happens in, in these businesses is they don't, um, like, you know, if you walk into a hotel, hotels are a perfect example, because it's priced. All these units are priced differently. Most of the time in these you know, when you're looking at a real estate asset, it's just, here's the price of a unit. It's your, 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 we don't do that. We analyze these different product types and offerings. Then you move over to the expenses. And so on this one, you got 360,000 in revenue. You have expenses of 131,000 and the net operating income of around 228 
thousand before debt. Now, when we looked at this, though, it's a this is really, really important because to operate these businesses, you need certain expenses. And this is where I see a lot of people get in trouble because they'll buy a mom and pop, but the broker doesn't sell it with all the operational expenses included. This happens a lot because they don't look at it like a business, right? They're looking at it as a real estate asset. Mm. So they go, oh, there's no management fee. You know, lots of times they go, we don't, there's no such thing as a management fee on there. There's, they under, the, I think the biggest one that sticks out is they, they grossly underestimate the cost of operations as far as personnel goes. Because mm. what a lot of times the owners will do is they'll be working in the facility but they don't count them as man hours, which could equal the part-time a part-time person. Well, if your net after debt is a hundred thousand dollars, and you missed that, that could be up to a twenty-plus percent change in wages that you need to do. That's a huge item for storage facilities. So you need to look at your employment costs and how that works. Um, so w- when you add those in, when you add things like um, asset management fees, um, that it should be. This is how you underwrite storage facilities. These are all things that for us, we get advantages of. We take on that uh, asset management fees. We work on like merchant fees. We can get those down. We can do everything from, you know, professional fees, lowering them, um, and advertising. Most of them don't even include it which has to do with the structure of the revenue. So you start line-iting everything from advertising, asset management fee, insurance merchant fees, office administration, payroll, professional fees, property taxes, repairs, maintenance, snow removal, utilities, telephone, right? You, you, You just go through all these operational expenses. These usually come out to be around 35%. At this one, it was 37%. This is a good number to remember. This is off a facility that is, how how big was that? Was it 60,000 square feet? Oh, man, I have to go back and look. I think it was right around Um, 60. It was 55, 65, something like that. Yeah, it wasn't huge. It wasn't a huge facility. It wasn't one of our bigger ones. Um, Now, this is important to know because this underestimating of uh, underestimating the performa of how the what it takes to operate as a business. If you're going to operate it well, you're naturally going to have more expenses. Now, some expenses are lowered. The important ones you should be lowering, like merchant fees, right, and uh, uh, maybe office administration, things like that. But the there's some that are probably going to go up. If you have a horrible manager, you're probably going to have to pay more to get a better manager in. Um, if you have zero advertising dollars, you're probably going to put thousands more into advertising, especially if you have to fill up. Um, So just generalizing it and mapping over these businesses that you're looking at, what you need to operate it at a certain level, this gives you a really good idea on a good facility to buy or a bad facility. Usually those expenses should be gutted. But then when you go to buy it, the broker that you're working with should also look at this as a business and say, you may not be doing this, but you have to do this to operate a business. So they should include those expenses, which benefits you, right? Make sure that that happens. And then once again, look at it, line item. What can I change and what can I not change? Put your business cap on, not your real estate. Forget about the depreciation, right? Forget about the appreciation, the wealth creation, all that kind of stuff dive into the expenses and the revenue and see what you can do, how you can change these numbers. Simple things change things a lot. 
we have our managers there. They have to look very professional, right? So you're talking, they need to have name tags, they have a uniform. How are you going to present this as a business? How are you marketing it? How are you getting people in? Um, it, that that sh simple mind sh shift for people can generate tremendous value. If you look at your store, if you own a storage facility right now, and you are looking at um, line iteming, so like you say, all my 10 by 10s cost X, and you are a little more frivolous on expenses that don't generate ROIs, right? Your manager, you let do most of the running and you're very hands off. Figure out where you can tweak a little to get a huge increase in bang for your buck. Because you have to remember $50,000 net increase on a large asset like that at, you know, whatever, a six cap, um, the wealth effect is just astronomical. Absolutely huge. For sure, for sure. Well, and just small changes like that too, where you're literally just changing a huge majority of what we do is that administrative operation side, you know, where it's literally as simple as training employees and having good people there to do good jobs. And they understand that they're there to operate a business as well. They're not, uh, we went over this at uh, our conference just with uh, all of our managers to, um, to treat their individual facilities like a business. They're not there as employees, they're there as business owners. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, we, through and through, we're treating all of this <laughs> like a business instead of this passive real estate investment that just makes tons of money somehow. And, you know, that's the beauty of it is as you're doing this, as those revenues and expenses and things increase, you can layer on your management, higher expertise, and it just starts to leverage performance, um, both in your people and your asset class. Um, and it, that allows you to really sharpen the pencil when it comes to underwriting, and that leads to more deals. We get deals. You know, it's, it, it's funny because I was down in, um, where is it? was Southern California last week, right? We were down because uh, for a software company that we we own. And um, I was down there talking with them, and, it, and that's directly related to storage. We'll, we'll do a whole podcast on that because that's important, storage technology. But um, when I was down there and when we were working on a lot of these different um, management softwares and tools and things that you need in the storage industry to run the asset classes, um, we had a bunch of people there, and one of the guys that had just gotten started in it, they were like, you know, it's impossible to get a good deal these days, you know. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, what are you seeing out there? And he's like, you know, we really like to get a 10 11% return, you know, and you just can't find it. And I'm like, looking at him, I'm like, I don't touch anything <laughs> that's not a 20% cash-on-cash return, yeah. not internal rate of return. And we just bought one. And... um you know, when you start to look at the difference, it's twofold. And this is what I think it is. First of all, it's the ability to find the deals. And finding the deals does not mean that they're brought to you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about getting a broker that will give you all these 20% cash on cash return deals. It's about you being able to make a deal on the market achieve a 20% cash on cash. That baseline right there should change, the change your overall way you look at deals. I see so many people that they're like, I can't find any deals. And what they're looking at is I want to buy something that makes a 20% cash on cash on turn right now. Mm -hmm. Like, well, of course, 
The market <laughs> will <be> <laughs> never give you those deals. That's never yeah. going to happen. That'd be awesome. So once you understand how to run it like a business, you can sharpen your pencil, underwrite this puppy, and then all of a sudden when you underwrite it, you start to see things that you never saw before. And you're like, holy cow. There's no, massive this, value there's here. There's massive value here. Yeah. This is a 20% cash on cash return that nobody sees. Um, I was talking on the phone with a guy who heard our podcast and called and said, hey, I'm looking to get into the storage business. And I want to start out on small facilities. We're talking 8,000, 12,000 square feet. And I'm like, oh, man, dude, that's like golden if you're looking at a straight cash on cash return. Because it, it you get rid of a lot of expenses, stuff like that. But these are really undervalued assets. And you can look at a ton of them. He's in the Midwest. And he's like, yep, yeah, I found this one. It was whatever it was, $200,000. He put 50000 The guy was going to carry it at a low interest rate. Oh, dang. And, you know, you have 50 units. Out of the 50 units, or not even 50 units, it was like 20 units. Um, out of the 20 units, whatever, six of them weren't even rented. The rest of them had been rented forever and never even had a rate increase. And so I just got on the phone. We just mapped out really quickly how he could get his money that he put down back in two years of that one asset. It wasn't a lot of money. I can't even remember if it was 200000 I mean, he was talking about putting $15,000 into it. Um, and he, he, I mean, he could get that back year one of the change. It was crazy, right? He's talking about 100% return. Um, and the reason being was he just was wanting to know what should I look for and I told him and he called me back up and he said I have these three deals and I you know he, he was he's nice he was you know he'd been kind of active on our channel here he'd given oh, us great reviews yeah. things like that and talking so I'd seen him online so I'm like yeah I'll take right. your call and uh, um so I uh, you know and he brought these three deals any one of them he could buy he bought one he's buying another one and he's gonna you know and he's just gonna knock it out of the park with these little assets but so more cool. importantly dude he's gonna he he's seeing the value Right. But that's not there. It's not there today. Exactly. But he'll be able to change it because he changed his thinking paradigm, right? And how he looks at the asset. Exactly. Well, and it's, it, I'm just sitting here thinking of Boise, how you guys, I mean, how that was so extremely undervalued by literally everyone. And yet you guys were able to come in and look and see the, the value that you could force onto that facility and get that return. Yeah, that made – so that facility, this was uh, about four years ago before the market was uh, – in the market that we're talking about, Boise, Idaho, was just completely, you know, blown out, overbuilt. It was right before it was starting, and there was one that went up for auction because the state owned it, and the state got in a lot of trouble for owning it. And um, the appraiser appraised it at whatever it was, $3 million, which we don't care what the appraiser says because he – it's not – he doesn't understand it anyways. So we took our model and we got with our, our bank appraiser and we showed him the model, showed him the workup. We sent him everything. He came back and appraised it at $6 million. Um, we bought it for 4 and today it's worth 8 And we changed the value. We added on probably $2 million in equity in six months. And it was immediate. It, it was harsh. Um, when we bought it, we gave an average rental increase the next day of 67%. Some people got like 140% rate increases. Um, but we had to clean the asset up. Exactly. We, we I mean, you change. had to. You it, had to get the just, right customers exactly. there. And in the thought process behind it yeah. was, do we do the slow and incremental? Mm. Or do we get the customers out we don't want 
and get the good ones in. 100%. And we're just like, rip the Band-Aid off. <laughs> can just, just do it. Instead of having people mad yeah. at us every year for three years, let's just have them all really mad right now. Right. And our manager was awesome, and we trained them and worked. And she actually works at our, our, our management company now. We brought her up because she did so good. But with, once again, uh, the everybody's like, you can't do that because you'll kill your occupancy. Our occupancy dropped 30%. Four months later, it was past where it had originally started with tenants that were paying double. That's incredible. Um, and it, it's we found the deal. Once again, when people went in and they looked at us, why are you buying it? It's not like it was a great deal when we bought it. And we're like, no, it is. It Especially is. when they think you're overpaying. Exactly. <laughs> they thought we were overpaying. And we're looking around going, you got, like, does no one see this? We didn't right. think we were going to get the deal. Because we knew. We're like, oh, geez, this thing's worth like six, nine million. And so we didn't think we were going to get the deal. And all of a sudden, everybody stopped bidding at whatever it was, 3.8 or <laughs> something like that. And we're like, you know, it, it was crazy. But it's, it's so cool. changing the dynamics and how you view and you find what everybody's overlooking. And self-storage is right. a great industry because you can do that in so well, and getting the right customers—that's another thing. I mean, you've got that administrative side of stuff that you can totally change around. Getting the right kind of tenants and customers into your facility. Uh, we just did a video on uh, YouTube about how to get, how to find the best customers and how to get them into your facility and and realize those massive returns that you can get just by changing your rates. Yeah, uh, I and mean, getting good customers. In there. Well, we look at it, and it's a common thing that we ask at ISS when we're doing these different things that we're presenting and working with groups. And I ask them, how much is a customer worth? And who is he? They don't know. And like, if you ran a business, so I, I have also a, uh, a company that works with um, organizations and their health benefits. And I know exactly who my customer is. I know how many employees they have. I know what type of business they are. I know what kind of coverage they offer because I have to go out and find them and I have to get them and sell them. And my salespeople do that. And if I didn't know that, I'm like, how would I do business? But in real estate, that's not something you think about, right? Like, it, it's just, they don't view it. They just view anyone as good, anyone that comes across the road. And how we like to look at it, and like we said, we explained this in the videos, there's, it's, that's not true. There's a type of person and customer that you're looking for to fit that asset class, and you need to identify them and advertise them. Think of it as a business. Walk in there, shake the customer's hand. Who's buying from you? Why are they buying? Right? I mean, get involved. Understand it. It, it's small things, but they make huge differences. Um, and once again, the real benefit to me is being able to identify and underwrite assets that people are missing. They're overlooking. Now you can get deal flow. Now you can go out there and go knock on doors and, and say, okay, I know that these facilities in this area are the ones I want, all the other ones I don't want. So it's not people just sending you deals and you're like, Okay, I think this is a good idea, but the or the deal the broker said they're selling this at a five cap, which will make me X return. Well, that's just not a good return, so I'm not going to buy it. Um, you got to <laughs> change the way you think on it. it right. That doesn't work. Um, that model, you know, that model may have worked in the recession, but didn't matter because nobody could buy them anyways. So now, when you can buy them, you just can't accept what was presented. Put your your business cap on. Find out how you can run a better business marketing, advertising, customer service, um, expense control, revenue control, maximization, all these things, right? Um, and two, we're talking on small facilities. I'm talking about one that has 15 units. You can do that today. You can go out and find a facility in your market that has 15 units that is either in a bad location, whatever it may be, that you can 
add very simple things, very simple value, and increase that net cash flow by a lot. Um, and then that way would outperform another asset that you could buy the where the market really sets rates like apartments, things mm -hmm. like that. Exactly. So that's, that's it, folks. Awesome that's stuff. what we're talking about today. It's, once again, let me make this clear. Self-storage is not a real estate investment. It is a business. You're buying a business. Treat it like a business. The market will repay you in massive dividends for it. Um, reach out to us, guys. Let us know what you're looking at. I love to see you guys when you're looking at deals. Um, tell us what you're looking at and what problems you're running into the marketplaces. We, we've bought in every, you know, four different states, all kind of markets developed, expansions, teardowns, um, everything you can imagine. So shoot over. That's one of the reasons we're making this video today is because of what we're hearing back from you guys. We appreciate it. We hope it brings you value. We're doing this for free. Please give us a, a great review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to our, our podcast. Give us a great review. It keeps us going and let us know what you like to hear. Thanks, oh, everybody. Thank you.